This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate all of you who are downloading the show. I know sometimes I forget to say that in other episodes, but honestly, this is an amazing journey. There are a ton of other podcasts out there. There are a ton of other things you could be spending your time doing, but you are hanging out with me, with us, with my guest, and that's awesome. I really appreciate that. Anyways, the guest this week is Mr. Matt Miller. He is a professional photographer as well as a veteran of the hardcore and punk scene. He used to play in a band called Most Precious Blood. And I'll just go ahead and say it. He is literally my favorite photographer around right now. He does weddings. And that's, that is where he makes his money. That is his bread and butter, so to speak. And the way that he captures weddings are just unbelievable because like... You hear wedding photographer and you like want to fall asleep. Like, I mean, no one is looking forward to shots of a wedding or someone else's wedding, but you can pop onto his site, wearediamondeyes.com, and you can see the life, the love, like everything that's that a wedding is supposed to inspire. And it's just completely poured over the page, over the print, over the website, whatever you want to call it. And, anyways, I'll go on about Matt in a minute. Let's get some business out of the way. So, I am, I'm fundraising right now. There's a cool website called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And what they do is they offer an awesome service. It's kind of like a Kickstarter, except there's no time frame on it. So what I'm coming to you, the listener, is I need some money. I want some money to pay my editor, to buy better recording equipment, basically to afford this show more of an opportunity to make this even more professional, because let's be honest, this show is super professional, and that's sarcasm, to make this more professional. And so, like I said, I'm coming to you, the listener, for that help. Visit patreon.com backslash xpurposex, which is my online avatar for pretty much everything I've ever done in my entire life. So I figured it's it's not broken. It also combines the sort of, like I said, the Kickstarter element and the fact that there are rewards. So certain people are able to contribute X amount of dollars. So say, say you contribute $20 a month. That will turn into some cool rewards. And I even have rewards where I will do an episode on you, with you. I will hang out. We will converse. We will discuss your life. And I will be curious. I mean, I'm already curious about people to begin with. But Needless to say, there's a bunch of fun stuff, so I'll be pushing this pretty heavily for the next month. So if you listen to the show, I look at it like this. When you go to a live musical event, you're paying like what, 10, 15, sometimes 20 bucks to do this thing, to experience it for you know maybe three, four hours. All I am asking for you, $2 a month. How about you do that? So that's like what? 50 cents an episode, that's a pretty small amount. So, and honestly, out of the thousands of people that download this show, if like just a fraction of you people decide to contribute, for one, I am uh, humbled when people donate money. And for two, 
it, it costs you virtually nothing. If you do what, two bucks a month, that's $24 a year. I've been doing this for over two years and I've been doing it for free. I'm not gonna change that. I'm gonna continue to do that whether or not you donate. But if you do donate, you are becoming invested in this show and invested in independent culture in ways that, you know, honestly, other people aren't. And that's fine. But like I said, I'm pleading. My hat is in my hand. I'm saying, hey, put some shekels in here. Thank you very much. Anyways, enough of that enough of that pitch. I'm really excited to introduce someone new to the show. I've tried to bring friends on in the past to do recommendations for music, and it's been hit or miss as far as like their own schedules, my schedules. Now I am on point. I'd like to introduce to you Mr. David Anthony. He is a writer. I think his official title is like head digital manager, something like that. But he works for a amazing website called the AV Club. And basically, that's like my favorite pop culture destination. It covers music, movies, TV, anything you care about from a pop culture perspective. They're covering in a very unique voice in a way that you feel like you're kind of hanging out with all the people at this particular site. And it's, it's something I really trust. If I want to see a movie, I pop on there. I'm like, oh, they give it a B plus. Looks like it's worth my time. So anyways, Dave Anthony, I got in discussions with because he mentioned this very podcast on that website a few times. And I was just like, holy shit, like this is unbelievable. And I even saw little spikes as far as downloads are concerned. Anytime that site mentioned this podcast. So anyways, what I wanted to do was bring Dave on to talk about some records. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. After we're done with that, I'll tell you about Matt. Here's Dave. Let's talk some records. Let's talk about the records you want to talk about. The two records I picked were the Hotelier full-length Home Like No Places There that Tiny Engines put out, which came out earlier this year, and I was immediately taken with in a strange way because I was never a big fan of the Hotel Year when that was their band name. Like I always thought they were good, but just didn't really hit for me. And I think Tiny Engines has, over the past two or three years, really established themselves as, in my opinion, one of the best labels that's around, just putting out, you know, really vibrant, vital releases by a lot of young bands and and really taking risks. Uh, A couple of years ago when they did like the Dikembe LP and like Signals Midwest, Everyone Everywhere, like those are some of my favorite, you know, young new bands. So whenever they pick someone up or work with someone, I usually pay attention, you know, so I wasn't big on the hotel year. And then this record came out and it just immediately floored me. You know, people have been talking a lot about emo and and all that over the last couple of years. And I guess you could say it falls into that realm, but they just kind of have this like punk edge to them. Like there's not a lot of like, you know, noodling intricate guitars. It's a lot more straightforward and from the gut and the lyrics are a lot more political. And, And that really resonated with me because it felt that, you know, there was this band who's been around for a long time and was kind of, you know, I guess always running alongside these other bands. And they finally, you know, made their huge statement. And I got to see them live a couple months back and they were just so tight and the songs really hit again and and felt fresh. Like it was I was in this period where I was listening to the record almost every day and felt I was going to burn myself out, which I'm always nervous about doing when I get into new stuff. Right. And uh Seeing them play just started that whole cycle over again. Just, you know, the lyrics resonated and, you know, it was just this uproarious experience. You know, they're singing about politics and and suicide and loss and and all these things. But, you know, the room just felt tied together. It's like we were all going through this experience together. Yeah. And by the end of the show, it's like we all came out the other side together. And that's 
that's a record that I think is is really important and it was great to see, you know, Pitchfork review it and give it such a high grade and, and so many places pick up on it. And I just hope people by the end of the year don't forget about it. Yeah, no, it's always hard. Yeah, when you have those records that come out in January or February, it's like, can I remember that? Like your average person that's not like you or I that keeps a running list going on. <laughs> like, yeah, we and some people are just like, oh, did that record come out? Yeah, I, I'm definitely along the same lines as you, where it's like I didn't really, honestly, I maybe listened to one or two songs of the Hotel Year when they put stuff up, Muddier Than the Sword, but yeah. Yeah, like it, it's funny because I I always have to sort of compartmentalize bands in my own head before I can like move on. I mean, not move on, but just be able to uh, appropriately look at them through the right lens. And so for me, just because these dudes are from like outside the Boston area, I immediately liken them to a band like Piebald. But obviously, as you illustrated lyrically, is way more serious, um, but has that element of of I guess fun that's incorporated because it's like they kind of throw everything in a blender and that kind of comes out to what they sound like. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think Pieball is a great reference point that like I've never really hit on. And that's kind of why I love talking about like records like this, where I have this very defined formulated opinion mm-hmm. and then you're like, Oh, it's like Pieball. And I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. It is okay. just Pieball. <laughs> yeah. No, um, it's, it, it's totally, yeah. I, I, I'm, I agree with you wholeheartedly where it's like, when you just look at it through a little different prism, it really does kind of open up a whole you know new can of worms but yeah i i really like the record too when you just start to see and feel like you know i definitely come at it from a perspective of where just because i do sort of work you know behind the scenes of a lot of stuff at record labels you start to hear people talking about them from an industry perspective of like oh dude this guy picked him up picked him up for like a booking agency and oh yeah man all these labels are talking to him and it's like once you start to hear that you know that there's something on the horizon for them, like not even just like from an industry standpoint, but like they're going to be out there for a while because they they have all these people interested in them. It's one of those things where it's like, I think a lot of people don't understand that side of the industry. And for me, it's really, you know, because I get to see parts of that and, you know, with totally. who's writing about them and, you know, even just like who is premiering the track or streaming the album, yada, 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 yada. But like, for me, that's that's the most exciting thing is because I love seeing a band that I'm obsessed with and, you know, or is doing something in the scene I care about and comes from, you know, similar-ish backgrounds, getting press for doing what, you know, this community's always done. That's that's really important. And, and my entire goal has always been to, like, champion things that, you know, I'm excited about and I think are important because... You know, I want to show someone their new favorite band and it's not because I, I'm so great, but it's just I understand there's an audience out there that might not get to it any other way. And it's cool when you see a band like them who is around forever under a slightly different name, make this change kind of I wouldn't say redefine themselves, but finally figure out what they were always trying to do and then, you know, blow up from it. And rightly so. And and it's just great to see that people outside of punk and hardcore and Indian emo and in this bigger realm are starting to take knowledge of this stuff that people have been doing for for so long it's heartening oh absolutely well yeah and what was the other uh that well i don't even call it an album but you know a demo for all intent and purposes well yeah and i I feel super pretentious like picking like oh it's the band's (laughs) demo on cassette but i picked the band's demo on cassette it's a band called earth girls who are one of my favorite young chicago bands going now it's it's members of a lot of other bands. Uh, the singer Liz uh, was originally from Boston, played in Libyans, moved here, started playing with a band called Broken Prayer, who are, in my opinion, one of the best 
um, Chicago hardcore bands going. They just have their very own unique sound. Uh, she plays keys in that band and it gives it a weird, like very angry, exploding Devo kind of sound. And they're just really, really fucking cool. But uh, this is her singing and playing guitar. Um, Joey Capel is in Boilerman and in Broken Prayer plays bass. Vince, Vincent Aguilar, who's in Please and Thank Yous and the Valentines plays second guitar. I don't know what their drummer does because I'm an asshole, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's most everyone else's resume. But uh yeah, um, a friend of mine, a guy I played in a, bl- a band with, he hit me up. This was probably like back in February. And he's like, hey, uh, there's a show ha- happening. Um, I think they're playing with Radiator Hospital, who are another fantastic band. Um, but uh, he hit me up. He was like, yeah, it's their first show. I ended up not making it, but like they put out the demo and I found the band camp link and I was just obsessed with it, just super taken with it. And it's just this great like garagey pop punk kind of sound. They remind me a lot musically of a lot of the stuff that was coming out of Texas, you know, even now, but more so like 10 years ago with bands like the Mark Men and OBM threes and, and a lot of that kind of stuff where it's just very straightforward and driving, but super hooky. And it right now, like Chicago, the past week has had our first stretch of good weather for the first time in like eight months. <laughs> you know, it's it's crack 60. So like we're all out wearing shorts and having a time. And like that's just been my soundtrack to that experience. The, the second song, 14 Years, is is to me just like this beautifully crafted. And it It's a total pop song. It reminds me of something you would hear like come on a jukebox in the 60s just with like the way Liz sings and everything about it. And it's just five songs that are just like no bullshit and just kind of come out of the gate, you know, and and rip through and are just so tight. And for what's happening, you know, a lot in the city, so unique because it it either skews like towards super hardcore or, you know, emo-y, weirdo kind of stuff. So it's cool to see a band just like be like, all right, no, like we're a pop punk band and we're going to be really, really good at being a pop punk band. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I was t- completely unaware of this uh, until you sent it to me. And it was, uh, yeah, I mean, all those descriptors are totally perfect. And it's it's one of those things where I'm so I'm so bad at streaming stuff online to like actually dedicate my time to it, even though I do sit in front of a computer all day. And so it was, I listened to it about two or three times and it was like, all right, I got it. I'm ready for more. Like I, yeah. I, I, I had already digested it and I had already been like moved forward with it. So that's, which is a good thing in a certain, to a certain extent, but you know, it's, uh, it, it does. I mean, and obviously it is shorter. I mean, it's like what, 10 minutes long, if that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's a super short EP. Um, I know grave mistake is putting on a seven inch for them sometime in the near future, which I'm really excited about. But, uh, I saw them play two or three weeks ago at a house here called 86 bats. And, uh, like they were the first of four, first of three, and just were absolutely mind blowing. Like there were maybe 15, 20 people there and they just were so energetic and just so good. And it just, you know, really indentured me to them because, you know, it's, it's cool to be able to see a band like that who relatively quickly has gotten, you know, I wouldn't say a lot of hype outside of the Chicago metro region, but, uh, you know, are getting on bigger shows, opening up for bands like Swear in here and Radioactivity, which is members of the Mark Men. So they're quickly uh, kind of, you know, finding their audience. And and that's really cool to see. And I just, I I think they do great things both in this band and and with what else they do. Uh, So because it's so good, that really uh, relieved my anxieties about picking something that would make me sound like, oh, well, you don't have the tape, man. So I'm (laughs) glad 
I'm glad you were cool about that. Yeah, no, no, it's, yeah, you do, you do always run that risk of like, oh yeah, just the first seven inch was the best. Everything else is terrible. It's like, (laughs) yeah, you don't want to be that guy, but yeah. Yeah, I I mean, that's, that's totally a product of being someone who's like really into music, you know, just always running the risk of being like, they're like, oh, well, did you hear the demo? The demo is the best. And like, uh, sometimes it is, but I love hearing a band in that really raw early gestational stage and then being like, holy shit, like I cannot wait until they put out a full length. I can't wait until they put out a seven inch. I can't, you know, and kind of following and growing with them, which is a, something that I think is very important to this culture and community and scene and scenes or what have you. And it's just something that, you know, when I find a band, even if it's just, you know, the first song they've ever put out, if it's a good song, I'll tell all my friends about it, you know, and try and convince them to go to a show and hope that they continue down that path. And if not, cool, well, you wrote a cool song. That's right. better than most of us. Well, uh, yeah, I, those are two great recommendations, and I'll include the links uh, in my in the uh, the show notes that I uh, will put up on the website. So I appreciate your time, Dave. Thank you very much for your first contribution. <laughs> cool. Thanks for having me, Ray. It's been a pleasure. So, yes, hopefully you enjoy that from Dave. We'll be doing that probably about once a month. So look forward to it. And thank you, Dave, for contributing and being a fan of the show. So like I said, Matt Miller, I love his photos. They're incredible. I love the medium of photography. And he was gracious enough to drive down to my house after a photo retreat in Southern California. I just loved hanging out with him, loved talking with him, has a great perspective on where he sits at in his own profession, where he's had to adapt in his own life, and just so many cool things for you know, uh, I wouldn't say tips and tricks, but basically just things for you to take into your life, learn from his mistakes or his experiences, and basically build cool stuff on your own. Because essentially, that's what I want you to do as just a inspirational person who likes to make things as well. Did I just define myself as, as inspirational? That came off wrong. Regardless, you get my point. So let's just get to it. Here's Matt. I'll talk to you afterwards. introduction to you i mean i it was weird because it was one of those things i i've been aware of you prior to our first interaction mm-hmm. i don't even know if you remember our first interaction but where was that well we because we've never met yeah but first interaction over email oh yeah, yeah, yeah was when i hit you up about that terror layout yep setting up the story where it's like terror i mean they they basically turned in that record completed to yeah. me when i was working at century media you know, I mean, being a hardcore kid, like you just see whatever you see live photos and you're just like, yeah, like, okay, like yeah. someone did something. Yeah. And then I can't remember, I, I can't remember if you hit up Century Media, just like the info at centurymedia.com or whatever, but it was brought to the attention where it was like, hey, that's my photo in there. Yeah. And it was like, because, and typically those sort of requests, they don't go unheard, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where it's kind of like, who is this person sitting? But then I, once I saw your name, I was like, oh, he, Clearly, Matt should be taken care of. And so that he was one of those things. I was scared to be like, oh, shit, I don't know how this is going to work. Like, is Matt going to be super pissed? Like, how is this going to work? And then, like, because obviously, it's not going to come back on terror. Yeah. It's going to go back on me. <laughs> so, but you were, and fortunately, you were awesome. It was super yeah. easy to deal with. And it was like, that just made, not like I had a negative impression of you going into it. Yeah. But it was one of those things where it was like, oh, you're reasonable. Like, because some, it's weird. 
Because yeah. some people, they're one way when it comes to just how they are as people, but then you put just like even a little business in there. Yeah, and it gets weird. And they just, they're like, you've, you've changed. Yeah. Like, and, but yeah, you're, you're, you're very consistent, so good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember that. Photography is what I do for a living. Yeah. And it's almost 100% wedding photography. I still do like some portrait stuff and of some, course. some yeah, music yeah. stuff. But uh, I don't really make a lot of income from music stuff just because right. I know the money's not there. Of course. Well, li- li- yeah, live photography, like, yeah. I mean, it's hard to be like, yo, this is what I do. And yeah. like, I, I get paid for layouts. Yeah. Like, n- not very many people do that. Yeah. And I, do, I definitely don't need to charge right. for it because it's usually my friends and, and mm-hmm. whatever. But the literally the only reason I charge, like if I see something in a layout or on a t-shirt and I hit somebody up. So it, reasonable. <laughs> but I, the reason I do it is for the photographer behind me. It's like the kid who's who's just starting out and actually needs money to buy another lens or to fucking a good buy a CF card or something like that. Yeah, if I'm yeah. giving all my images away for free, I'm setting a precedent that the guy behind me who's just starting out yeah. and he's like, oh, the, I yeah. guess this guy, everyone before me right. gave away their images free. I guess I will. And yeah. then he's burned out and broke and right. shoots all the time and then he's yeah. screwed. So. Right. In my experience within independent music, I've always believed that it's like, there, no one should feel guilty about getting paid for stuff. Yeah. Cause, and that's always the the stigma that gets attached to independent music and mm-hmm. punk and hardcore. Where it's like, oh dude, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool. Everything's free or everything's like, you know, $4 or whatever. Yeah. I believe there's this middle ground of like, okay, I know you're not going to charge me a premium price. I know, like, in writing you, I'm like, I know that Matt's probably not going to be like, yo, dude, I need, like, $1,500 for this photo. Yeah. Yeah. But at this, on the on the complete flip side, it's not going to be that, like, oh, that was cool, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so you got to like, find that weird middle ground. Right, yeah. find that middle ground of, like, you need to be compensated for this, but at the same time, like, you know, they're, they're, it can't swing that other direction. Yeah. Right? So it's like, oh, man, because then you're just then you're not a human. You're just like a corporation where you're just putting stuff into you. And it's like, oh, here's my output. And yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is weird. But I, I was glad that interaction did go another way where it was like, oh man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bump you. I didn't do anything, <laughs> but I'm going to have to be like the vehicle for that. Totally. Born and raised. Were you e- always East coast? I had no idea where you Yeah, I was actually born in upstate New York. Okay. And then six months later, my parents moved to Atlanta. Oh. So oh, I, so you had roots in Atlanta. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Atlanta, and then, uh, you know, that's where I got into punk and hardcore and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, put on shows and, and, and whatnot, and then eventually moved to Brooklyn sure. in 99, I think. Sure. I had played in punk bands in Atlanta and stuff like that. It's a funny story. Uh, so I moved to Brooklyn, I was kind of like the new guy. Yeah, they're all uh, like, who's who's that guy coming well, in the show? Well, I, I knew a lot of people. Like, sure. <clears throat> I ended up moving in with Tommy from Silent Majority. He was like mm. my favorite hardcore band. And they would play Atlanta, and I would book the shows, and they would stay with me and stuff. And then, I, I you know, I was like, oh, I want to move to New York. He's like, oh, fuck, we need a roommate. I was like, oh, perfect. My life's going to be a Silent Majority song. It's going to rule. Like, every day <laughs> we're going to go to the beach and, like, high five and fucking right, right. <laughs> stage dive and stuff. And I moved there, and I fucking hated it. I hated it. Immediately. Like, immediately. How old were you at that point? <sighs> I was... Just turn 20. 20, okay, yeah, yeah. The circle of friends that I, that I knew there were like, oh, this is, you know, this is Matt. He used to play in bands down there, blah, blah, blah. Right. I, you know, I needed a job. I needed, you know, some sort of connections or whatever. And people were like, oh, well, shit. And I got offered to be in three different bands within being there a week. I got offered to be... Uh, Sound Majority broke up, like, two days me, after right, I moved right. there. Like, he, like, I lived in a room off the kitchen. Okay. There was like, I guess a dining room, but right. it literally had a curtain curtain. Yeah. And I had like a futon mattress on the floor. Sure. And Tommy just opens it up one day. He's like, yo, Tom George just broke out and closed it. I was like, mother. 
Like, I already <laughs> hate Long Island, and then right. your band breaks up. God damn it. Yeah, you're like, that was the whole reason. <laughs> so Tommy comes in and is like, hey, uh, so Silent Majority breaks up. I'm going to start this new band called Blood Red. Blood Red, that's right. I remember that. And I heard the demo, and it didn't sound like Silent Majority. No. So I was like, I don't know. And then... <laughs> Uh, I knew Justin and Rachel from Indecision. We used to book Indecision shows in Atlanta all the time. Right. And uh, they had started Most Precious Blood. And I had the demo and I fucking loved it. Yeah. And uh, I remember uh, talking to Justin, one of them, uh-huh. and they were like, oh, Rachel had played bass at the time. She was like, really wanted to play guitar again, so they need a bass player. And I was like, well, fuck it. I kind of know how to play sure. bass if I know how to play guitar. And I'm a terrible guitar player. I'm a terrible bass player. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm just fun to be around. So luckily I get to... <laughs> yeah, you get to... Yeah. Which, which a bass player is like the perfect role yeah. for that. Where it's just I don't like, really know what I'm doing. I right. can monkey see, monkey do all day, and I can drive a van, so fuck it. Right, so. right. And I'm, and I'm generally good to be around. <laughs> and then uh, the girl that I was dating at the time, this girl Julie, was like... Uh, um, she was friends with this dude, Eddie Reyes, who was like in the movie life and mm-hmm. he was in uh, Mind Over Matter and stuff like right, that. Right, right, right. He had started this new band and they were kicking out their singer and their bass player was going to start singing. So they needed a bass player. Sure. So I remember sitting in the car with Julie and being like, fuck, this is like, I really want to play. I haven't played music in like two years. My band had broken up in Atlanta. Right. And I was like, what do you think I should do? She's like, well, whatever you do, don't join Eddie's band because they, they're they not won't going go anywhere. Right, right. <laughs> And then that band was taking back Sunday, and I was like, so anytime I see her, I was like, remember that fucking great career advice you gave me? Yeah, remember that, remember that fork in the road <laughs> yeah. where I went down because yeah. of you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, whoops, about that. Yeah. No, but I, like, I ended up joining Most Precious Blood and then right. for them, and it was, right, like, right, obviously right. I wouldn't change that for anything. Oh, no, no, for sure. And so the, the formative, I mean, basically your formative years you spent in, well, why did they move to Atlanta? Why did your parents move to Atlanta? <sighs> My dad had a sweet job in the packaging industry, okay. so he... Uh, <laughs> I guess they was make, he, he was in the they make boxes okay. in Atlanta, and uh, we actually lived in Atlanta for a while, and then we moved to Birmingham, Alabama, Tus- Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and then okay. back to Atlanta. Okay. So we why were you born in, in New York? Why were you born in New York? That's where they they were born. My parents were born and raised in upstate New York. That's oh, okay. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So then, just shortly after I was born, we moved down south. Got it. Got it. So, um, yeah. And then we moved back to Atlanta when I was in second grade from. Alabama. Okay. So that's where right, right. That's where it all. Everything and you, uh, you have a brother, right? Yep. I have okay. a brother and a half sister. My half sister got disowned when she was eighteen, and I Ooh, was okay. like five or six, and I no one will tell me why. Like R- literally, some sh- yeah, some shit had to have gone down. Wow. But like, I'll ask my mom; she won't tell me. And bro, I was like, I, ah, you know, it's better off you don't know. So I literally have no idea what happened. I know she was a shithead, but I don't right. know. Like, to what extent? Yeah, to what extent to, like, getting kicked out of the family? Right. To be like, no one no one's going to speak of you or about why you're not yeah. speaking to anybody. Super that's high. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy that that wall got put up around that. Well, I remember one thing did happen was uh, she, she wrote a letter to my mom uh-huh. and was saying that she was getting married. Okay. So then my mom sent her her wedding dress, my mom's wedding dress, okay. and money. And then apparently a month later, she found out that that was just a lie. She was oh, there's a ruse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting some money and get a wedding yeah. dress. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently she is a shithead. So. Right, right, right. That, yeah, that's not, that's not a move that people would do. Yeah. <laughs> that are good. Not good people, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I have a brother. He's two and a half years older. Okay. And uh, he's a computer guy. And then he actually just opened a vegan bakery in Atlanta. It's oh, amazing. Oh, he, so he's in, he's in Atlanta. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. And so, how would you describe your, uh, you know, your your familial life, as it were? Uh, you know, was it uh, was it good growing up? Like, did you guys have? You know, I mean, I'm sure every family my has parents are, problems. My parents are awesome. They yep. never fight. They're still together. It's um, they were very hands off, though. 
Yeah. Like, full on, my dad worked all the time and was always out of town for, like, business meetings and stuff like that. Sure. And then my mom was just, you know, work nine to five, come home. Did she like, work in the packaging industry as well? No, she, like, did payroll for some. Oh, sure. Like, like clerical work and stuff. Shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just nothing exciting or right, meaningful. Right, right. Um, and then she would come home from work, and uh, we had a living room and a den in mm-hmm. our house. Uh, me and my brother would hang out in the living room, and she would go to the den and literally put on soap operas and just watch those all night. Wow. And then... Yeah, just you guys. Yeah, we'd order pizza and just eat pizza, and I would go skate and like go to shows and stuff like that. As long as so that basically, it's like from I mean, from the point of when you were probably like ten, eleven. I mean, you were essentially just like watching yourselves. Yeah, like full on. Yeah, right, right. You're like, would your mom be so hands off, or she was just like ask you where you're going, or just like I'm doing this, mom? I would just you know, (laughs) but like I ran away a lot as a kid. Like if I ever. Got told I was doing something wrong. I right. fuck you and just leave for like three or four days. So like that's your first reaction? Yeah. Full on just bolt. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah. Not even like, I'm not even hearing this. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, was, I was a pretty bad kid when I hit probably 14. Okay. So I was, I was into skateboarding and punk rock and, and all how, that stuff when I was get, like... Yeah, how'd you get intro to that though? Is that sixth grade. Some, this dude named Eric Currier was in my... Uh, <laughs> In my class, and he came in with his like you know side of his head was shaved okay. and like denim jacket with some fucking bullshit all over it. Right, right. And we'll bring his skateboard to school. Oh yeah. And I was just like, dude. Oh, okay. The day I fell in love <laughs> with skateboarding was I went with my parents to see David Copperfield in Atlanta. Dude, fucking yeah. love David Copperfield. So yeah, yeah. I was at uh, this place called the the Fox in Atlanta. It was downtown. Like never, you know, I would never go downtown. We lived in the burbs. Okay. And uh, just dude skating down the street, like three or four kids, and uh-huh. just like falling down a curb, and, like shredding down the street. And you're like, what are they got? for like a second? And I was just like, fuck, what that's is it? That? that is it. Yeah. And we went to like, you know, the VHS rental place down from my house, and I uh-huh. got like the but- Pal Peralta video, uh, Public Domain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just watching that. And like, I had heard punk rock before, but then like seeing it with skateboarding, and I was like, like that, yeah. those two together made so much sense. Ray Bar- like separately? Yeah. That's Ray Barbie's part, They, uh, it was McRad. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. It still gives me, like, give me thinking about it, it gives me chills. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's how I fell in love with all that. But then uh, my first show ever was, uh, there were these local bands. One was called Act of Faith and the other one was Crisis Under Control. Mm-hmm. And I had like their demo tapes or whatever. Sure. And I was like, oh, you know, they're playing this show at this place called The Masquerade. And it ended up, uh, they were opening up for GBH. So my first... Punk show is GBH and Act of Faith and Crisis Under Control. Okay. And, uh, dude, it was awesome. Like, right. People just going completely bananas. And, uh, so there's a lot of people there for GBH. Like, the local shows were a lot smaller, but, like, sure. packed house, everyone was going bananas. Like, my first stage dive happened that night. Like, all that stuff. Like, was, it, I was did, full on. did you find, was the uh, stage dive executed properly? Were you, uh, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it seemed kind of really tripping. cool in my head, but, like, I'm sure I just fell over and right. people like, punched just... me in the face and, <laughs> you know, whatever. But there was, like, the gnarliest, full-on, like, the end of Outsiders brawl okay. after the show. Oh, jeez. Like, skinheads versus, like, the hardcore kids. Oh, dude. And I had no, like, I had yeah, no you alliances. Know, right. I, yeah. And I was just like, you know, then it was, like, grown-ass men punching each other in the face. But they were probably just, like, 19 years old or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, full force beating the shit out of each other. Right. But it didn't scare me. Like, I was just like, whoa, that sucks. But, like, right. I, yeah, I you're would like, still go to shows. Right. You're like, as long as I'm just watching this. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I just remember, you know, my first five years going to hardcore shows, like it was like Nazis were there, like there was yeah. fights all the time and like sure. all that shit. Yeah, there was that, there was, there, I mean, especially it's like, you know, in the, you know, in, in the nineties, there was such a schism where it's just like people, you know, you, you felt like you had to take a side and that there was no understanding yeah. any other points of view. Yeah. I mean, not to say that like you need to understand a skinhead's point of view. Yeah. Clear, clearly, 
Yeah. I think that's been proven. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's there's just those even within like the factions of obviously like you know straight edge where it's like yeah. you had each each person's dedication to it was questioned yeah. because of whatever they were doing. It's yeah, it's such a and then now it's like just such a hodgepodge of like oh everybody's into it. Yeah. It's like oh we well yeah, but at one point <laughs> it was kind of weird how yeah. that was that was doing that. Oh, um, I got to, I got to see the transition from like everything was at clubs then you know yeah yeah like even the local shows and then uh, just. Us fighting our own venues and making DIY venues and doing sure. there, was, there was a point for two years where it was just house shows like right even like you know one away would play it'd be in a fucking living room totally stuff, but it was awesome well because yeah. I mean a lot of those because <clears throat> Atlanta while it's a big city it's still you know it, like you obviously compare it to like New York or LA and it's yeah. like you know it's smaller but so it's like I would imagine that you know having a you know solid all ages venue that was like hard for that to sustain for a long period of time yeah. I mean obviously now it's more established yeah. but. You know, it's like, I mean, you look at like Las Vegas and it's like all ages venue. It's like, forget about it. Yeah. You know, played a record store one year and then next year it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. Why were you being a little shit? Like, were you just basically like, yo, I'm, I'm on my own. I'm fucking, I'm doing this. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I compare it to, I have a two and a half year old girl at home. Right. And I feel like she's starting to test it. Just saying no for no fucking you. Totally. I just don't want to eat. Yeah. It's like, no, no. You I know. You, yeah. You, you're fucking hungry. I, I know you're hungry. <laughs> yeah. But I think just testing boundaries. Uh, sure. I got really into drugs when I was 14, 15 years old. Uh-huh. Um, just exposed to it through peers and stuff. Yeah. Shows just, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Not even shows. It was just fucking skate. I just wanted to be weird. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess the skate crew I hung out with was into it. Like I did a lot of acid, uh, smoked a lot of pot and stuff. And then sure. uh, my brother and I actually got put in rehab on, a, on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was pretty rad. Because we got really stoned and we were like, okay. turkey, dude, it's going to be rad. And then my mom's like, oh, we got to go to the store to get something. And literally just kept driving. I'm like, whoa. We go. And then there we And go. then that's, yeah. wow. So that was, uh, so, and your your brother, your brother was doing like that stuff with you or like com- you guys were completely separate on that and your mom was we like. We were, I remember getting my brother stoned for the first time. It was pretty amazing. Uh, <laughs> so you introduced your. Yeah. That's a good. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, we had different sets of friends. Like I was more into skateboarding. He was like more like just long hair metal. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, we would definitely get stoned a lot together and stuff. Right. But uh, yeah, we got we got put into to rehab. We were away for two and a half weeks, and then we had a outpatient thing for about a year. Oh, okay. So we, we had, had to like check in and stuff like that. We had to go to AA and I had to have random drug testing, and then we had to do family therapy yeah did the you family th- therapy people were saying that you know our unit wasn't tight enough and that's yeah. why i was doing t- right it was so stupid that, i mean at that age you don't have any perspective in general yeah but like did you feel did you feel like you had any like loss of control or anything like no. that You're that just, was li- yeah. like literally we'd have to like so the crappiest thing was is my brother and i are two and a half years apart mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let us be in like the same unit together because oh, they thought okay. we would like start a gang and just fucking kill people so i don't know <laughs> right right but uh they literally had us that have a separated but they have you separated by age so there's the adolescence pre-adolescence and okay. whatever farther down the line right so i had to be in the pre-adolescence while my brother was in the adolescence okay so i was 15 okay at the time and so i had a, i think the cutoff age was 13 for the pre-adolescence okay. so i'm like way yeah two two years doesn't seem like much now but like then yo like, it's yeah. huge then yeah so dude i was with like kids who were like yeah i hear piano noises at night my fucking dad touches me like just yeah real weird. deep yeah, yeah but like young kids who don't really know what's going on of course and my brother's like with people with fucking tattoos already and fucking shaved head. Like, I would see them leaving lunch while I was going in. I'm like, right. he gets to hang out with the fucking cool, like, the punkers, man. <laughs> yeah, I gotta yeah, hang I out with... I identify with yeah. that. 
I, I'm hanging out with kids that like wet the bed and like don't totally. know how to fucking eat. Oh god. Right, right. Yeah, because it's like you're look, you're looking at it from the perspective where it's like you know if you're you're going into this situation obviously against your will, but you're you know you didn't feel like you, your your mom was obviously heading you off. Where it's like okay, yeah. clear like so you see the wrong. right and like the people that you were surrounded with. I'm sure were obviously so much worse off as far as like they had been. Uh, you know, whatever it, it had been long festering. Yeah, those issues where you're just kind of like, well, I'm just dicking around for like fucking year, like yeah. you know, doing stupid shit, and yeah. So I could see where it was like, yeah. oh my god, I, this is I'm in this weird middle ground. <laughs> well, I just remember being like, you know, they would put us together in circles and be like, yeah. talk, let's talk about our problems, right? And they were asking me like, you know, why why are you here? And I was like, oh, I like I like to smoke pot. I love doing acid, like yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. And they're like, why? I'm like, have you done it? It's amazing. Like, yeah. I'm having fun. What the fuck is the matter with that? Like, <laughs> right, right. You like watching football. I like getting stoned and right. eating potato chips. Like, what's the matter with that, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. So I literally had to, like, bullshit my way out of being in rehab. Which sure. Is like, I just feel alone, man. And just, like, you know, yeah, I like told hit, them what they wanted cli- to hear, you know? Totally. Hit every cliche. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So literally got out. I think the only thing that got me stopped to stop doing drugs was random drug testing. Like, if I got caught with anything in my system mm-hmm. within that year, I would be, like, put in juvenile or whatever. Like, they had, a, like, a... Right, an escalation. Yeah yeah, 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 So, I was like, fuck it. And then, the, I remember the day I stopped doing drugs was... I did a few, like, fucked up things while I was still under drug testing. Like, sure. We were, like, huffing Freon and stuff like that at one point. So, yeah, I'm, like, yeah. behind my parents' house, there's, like, a concrete slab that holds our... Air conditioning units. Okay, we get yeah, a trash yeah. bag. Open the Freon gate on the back of the. Thing, oh yeah, and it would, like fill up a trash bag. And uh, me and these two dudes who are like sick boys, like the social distortion, like yeah, yeah. pompadours, white shirt oh, tucked in. Those two dudes, yeah, uh, greasers, right, right? Yeah. So we're just huffing Freon. Dude, so stupid. We're right. huffing Freon behind the house, <laughs> and it, uh, it makes your voice really deep when you do. It. Like it totally just destroys your brain. And oh yeah, out of your mind. Okay. For, like, 20 seconds and then whatever. So my friend Glenn is doing it and he like takes this huge hit of Freon, passes out, hits his head on the concrete slab. Right. And like it's all muddy back there, just ran or whatever. And he gets back up and he goes, I've never felt better. And it's like really deep. He's drooling. His eyes are glazed over. His head's bleeding and he's covered in mud. Right. And I'm like, fuck it. You're like, this is just right. fucking super. Where am I gone? Yeah. Why am I here? Yeah, this isn't fun. This is just fucking pathetic that was one of the yeah it's a sobering moment yeah where it's like especially if you have any sort of insight where it's like oh this is where my life could go yeah it's not gonna go anywhere no. good yeah i was having a great day before we got here right. like why didn't i just continue doing that why am i hanging out behind my house right fucking trying to poisoning find... my brain and watch it just drool on each other it's totally stupid, totally yeah. trying to find because i mean that <clears throat> when you're doing stuff like that that's definitely like you're becoming more creative for a high. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, how about we do this thing? Yeah. How about we do this thing that clearly is like the worst thing possible yeah. for us? As opposed to like, oh yeah, here's your standard fair drugs. Like, yeah. no, let's go to Freon. Yeah. <laughs> but it, sh- it shows you're creative too. Yeah. <laughs> I presume because of all of that, you like could give two shits about school. Yeah. I, uh, it took me five and a half years. I actually graduated high school. Okay. Um, That's I gra- good. I graduated in summer school. Okay. In a lunchroom <laughs> with like 14 other other losers sure sure it was so sad yeah yeah yeah. yeah. like all all my friends were there and like you know they're like jim johnson and be like like his two parents in the back like in a fold-out chair or whatever oh no and then they call my name and like my friends like printed out streamers and like yeah yeah it was so funny yeah yeah yeah. but yeah uh i was i remember my first year of high school and you know just two semesters first semester i passed pe okay and nothing else and then the second semester i passed art and then nothing else (laughs) 
So I failed my first ninth grade year. Okay. And then every other year was just fucking skimming just, by. Just, oh, sure. Yeah. I didn't give a shit about school. I didn't care about anything they were teaching me. Like, You're like, I there's nothing relevant in yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. All. Um, all I cared about was skating and sure. going to shows and stuff. And so at that point, uh, I mean, so as you, as you, once you actually graduated, is that when you obviously started to be like, like, did playing in a band, was that like a thing you had to do? Or was that something that was just obviously a byproduct of what you were surrounded by? Um. I'm not, I just said earlier, I'm not a good musician. I right. don't know music theory. I can't fucking, <laughs> right. I don't know anything about, but, you know, I can write a five chord punk song, you know? Like, right. I learned how to play three chords when I first, like, I took one music class when I first got a guitar. Uh-huh. And a guy taught me how to play, like, Hotel California or something. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So I know, like, the couple the chords that are in that, and yeah. I'm like, all right, fuck it. And I was like, what's a power chord? Mm-hmm. And he showed me how to do that. And I was like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, and then done. never took anything else. <laughs> Give me the basics. Yeah. And then just learn how to play, you know, minor threat and sex pistol songs and stuff. And then, mm-hmm. you know, started the band a week after that. So, so when did, what was your, what was your first band that you actually played a show in? Uh, we were called one way. Okay. And, uh, shit. How old was I when I started that? <laughs> probably when I got out of rehab, Jesus. Okay. 16 years old. Okay. My first band. Sure. Um, or stylistically, what were you trying to go for? It's just really bad youth crew. Oh, no. Okay. I was, yeah, I was like, going to make that inference, but I was like, it yeah. could go another way. So well, it's the simplest to play. Like of metal core, they're at least getting a little bit, you know, pinch arm rounds <laughs> yeah, and shit. So I didn't know how to do that. So right, like, right, 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 right. Oh, cool. Yeah. Let's do yeah. It. Perfect. So, you know, I listened to like instead was like probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. And that's. I just ripped all that shit off. Right, right. You're like, how can I rearrange this to sound? To sound Uh, fast breakdown. Got it. Cool. Got it. Got Um, it. it. So I did that band for a couple years. Like we actually did two, two tours. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh wow! Oh, this is terrible. Like (laughs) I mean, East. Like yeah, just went out the East Coast, played like five shows, but still in Vermont or something like that. Still, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was cool. It was fun. And like people I met on that tour are I've still friends with. Yeah, still run into. Yeah, yeah. That's the one thing that I always find so. It's like when people when people tell me that they have like the touring experience like on the level that obviously both you and I have had. It's just I, I nothing makes me happier because it's like you find people that you're still in touch with, you know, whatever, 15 years later. Yeah. And you're just like and some of those are, are the most smallest and inconsequential. Like, oh, I remember meeting you in fucking New Hampshire at this awful show with five people. Yeah. And you were one of those people. And we're still friends. And that's, that's insane. Yeah. That was uh, Pete, bass player from Bane. Right. Had like some terrible fucking metalcore band. Yeah. We literally, my band played. Right. And then we gave them our instruments and then they played. And we literally played for each other. We were the only people at the show. Right. Just looking at each other. Just, this good is so job. Dumb, yeah. Right, right. This is, what are we here for? Yeah. How, how far did we drive? Yeah. yeah. So oh, no. stupid. But yeah, you don't ask yourself those questions. And then, uh, this is probably 97. Okay. 96 or 97. And then playing shows with some terrible band in North Carolina ended up being the guys that ended up being in the first step. And okay. Uh, so yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. like, so we, and we're all still friends and totally. You know, yeah. yeah. It's such, it's such a cool experience. Yeah. So obviously by the time you graduate high school, I'm sure where you, you just be like, all right, I guess I'll just find some jobs and just kind of hang out yeah. and like just work at health food stores. Okay. Like, no ambition, just piece and stuff together. Yeah. Just yeah. working at a burrito place didn't matter. I made enough money to eat and right, just play skate and right. buy a couple records. And that was it. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. We used to we had a, a warehouse we all lived in in Atlanta. Had like a four foot half pipe in it. Did okay. shows out of it. Like built our rooms inside it and stuff. Was that where was that where like uh, Ezra and all those dudes from the they lived across like there it was like a a train trestle that went in between. It was where trains used to come from. Yeah, just to drop off stuff in the warehouses. 
So they're like, like you open my front door and you're looking at their front door. I just, right across from us. Wait, when I, when I toured with those dudes, it was just one of those things when they were describing to me and like, not only where they lived, but obviously like the scene that was, that was in Atlanta. It was such a, I was like, you guys are living. I'm like, that sounds amazing. Like, for, especially for the, just the sort of like, you know, uh, creative, uh, impulses that can be expressed in like, oh, we're in a warehouse. You can fucking paint. You can do graffiti. You can skate. Like, yeah. and it was just, it was I, awesome. I'm sure it was awesome. It was awesome until like, yeah. Well, there's so much <laughs> space in a warehouse. Yes. There's one bathroom. Yes. So we had six people that were paying rent. Sure. And then uh, a lot of other people. We had a ramp. Right. And then we had like a loft area above like three of the bedrooms. It was just like 20 couches up there. Sure, sure. Whatever. And everyone was reading those crime think books at the time. Which is Huge. Like super inspirational. Totally. Not very practical. Dumpster diving. Yeah, yeah. And so totally. everyone was like, yeah, dude, we're not fucking, we're going to be off the grid. Yep. So everyone stayed at my house and ate everything out of my refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Was taking my clothes out of my washer and dryer that I brought there and oh. would just like throw it on the floor because they had to wash their clothes. Sure. And like just, yeah, it's just the- mooching off everything. Like totally. We only paid like a hundred dollars rent there. Right, right. But it's like, fuck you. Like, totally. I know you're. I know what you're doing. Right. You're keeping it real, but you're piggybacking off me and totally. not making it cool. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. literally pissing me off. So I was like, of course. I had to like kick like 10 people out of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's you mix that sort of youthful idealism with the practicalities of like being a pre adult. Like, yeah. it, it just all starts to crash, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, Maybe maybe I can not do all of these things and I'll still be productive. Or yeah. <laughs> uh, so when did you start to feel the the I guess the more creative urge to like I mean what because what actually inspired you besides a space in New York City to actually move up there or was it just uh, a space? girl? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had this idea to write a book a long time ago. Which okay. Never. <laughs> never materialized. You still have a draft of it somewhere or anything? Uh, I have really bad notes written down. So basically, what okay. I wanted to do was just leave Atlanta. Okay. And travel and. You know, same crime think like sure. You what are you gonna fantasy. like train I, hop and stuff like that? I was gonna train hop. I was gonna go in my car and just like barter for food at, at restaurants and stuff like that, like wash dishes and, yeah, and, yeah, and trade yeah. for food and like try and lose the identity I had from when I was a kid until then. Sure. And then I did that in the winter, so it was like I got like five days into it and it was like snowing, I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna start like <laughs> cold calling friends being like you know i had a friend in new jersey and right. then he has a friend in boston and blah mm-hmm. blah blah. and i actually stayed and met tons of new people and met like a whole series of friends sure but during that i met this girl julie and that's who i moved to new york for okay got it got it yeah so yeah there was there's an anchor you could throw up to that was yeah. like okay that's that's yeah. where i'm going to go i was living in the warehouse and you know everything was just fucking frustrating right and uh so like i need i need to change i need something different and right. i was like new york sounds cool like right whatever and I moved there, and my fantasy of New York was New York City, not Long Island. No, Long so I got to Long Island. And I was like, "This is just one big mini mall. <laughs> it's like the burbs of Atlanta, yeah, but ninety times more expensive and frustrating to get around." Oh, of. dude, forget yeah. like yeah, Long Island Expressway. It's yeah. you're just like hell, it's like awful. Yeah, just to get to anything cool, and <laughs> like I was coming from Atlanta, where literally every kid was vegan straight edge. Yeah, and like. We had shows in my house, and I had a ramp that was like I opened the door to my room, and there was a half pipe right there. Right, and all we did was skate and eat burritos and fucking drink soda and like just to be jackasses. Right, and I moved to Long Island, and everyone ate at Chili's. Right. No one was even vegetarian. <laughs> just, yeah, it just sucked. It was like such a cultural removal from what you've yeah. been used to. I was in fantasy land, and I moved there, and I was like, "Wow, life sucks." Right, Pretty right. Bad. I was working at. Uh, the student Nick, who's in Bayside now, oh sure, yeah, was the manager at a Abercrombie and Fitch kids store. 
So he got me a job folding T-shirts. So that was my job in New York was I folded, folded shirts for children at Abercrombie & Fitch. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I was fucking... I was about to say, that's, that's kind of lowest low. Yeah. So then once I started talking to Justin and Rachel, joined the band, uh-huh. moved to Brooklyn. Did you, like, did you have... I mean, obviously, like you said, you still had an inkling that you wanted to play music, but did you, like, was it the, was it your desire that, like, yo, I want to link up with someone to tour and, like, yeah, do that? Yeah, that's okay. all I wanted to do. Got it, got it. I have no burning desire, desire to, like, create... Sure, sure. Musical geniusness. Right, I know right, that's right, just right. not going to happen. But sure. I love touring. I love hardcore. I love meeting people. Right. I love just the whole experience that's yeah. wrapped up. Oh, in yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's another thing. It's like I, I had nothing else right. I wanted to do. Nothing right. was calling me. I didn't want to be a dentist. I didn't want to fucking yeah, yeah. do anything. I right. just wanted to be a, the, the uh, a dude. Right. The uh, the packaging community wasn't. Yeah, uh, wasn't I was called. good. I was good. I saw my parents, and I was like, "That sucks. Let's let's find something else. <laughs> let's let's do something else." Yeah. Most precious blood, you know, you guys went. The thing that always blew my mind about the drive of the band was the fact that it was like, even though you guys were, for all intent and purposes, like a full time band from yeah. a touring perspective, um, is that it never necessarily felt like it from the standpoint of like, it felt like this was a vehicle for you guys to just like travel and do weird shit. Pretty much. I mean, for me, from your yes. perspective, yeah. I wasn't the driving force behind any of right, that. Right, right. So I don't know what, like, you know. It just seemed like a big overall yeah. scheme of everything was, but right. that's all I wanted. Because at that point too, it was it was that weird, it was that weird, you know, early two thousands where it was kind of like you started to see bands in the community be able to like quote unquote make a living, you know, where it was like, yeah. oh, like maybe I didn't need to get a job in between this like month off between your, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it, it never, it never felt like Most Precious Blood was like there. Were, I'm sure there were elements of that discussion in there, but yeah. there was never like where it's like, okay, here's the fucking business plan. Yeah, never. And right. we, we, I mean. <laughs> When sound scans became a thing and like marketing packets and stuff like that, we're like, who, what the fuck is this? Yeah, what is stupid? Totally. We never gave a shit about any of that because mm-hmm. we, we knew that wasn't us. That wasn't going to be, right. we weren't going to be a fucking household name. We weren't going to, yeah, you weren't going to have posters. Right, yeah, right, right. we weren't going to be signing posters after the show or anything like that. No one gave a shit about that. You know? <laughs> right, right. We, we were just angry kids that wanted to play music and fucking have some sort of outlet yeah. for it and travel and, 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 right. Like, fucking, Get weird, you know? right? Right. <laughs> I mean, photography obviously started to consume you as you were in the band. Like you started to try. I mean, like not consume you, but you started to experiment with it when you were in the band, right? Yeah, I yeah. never. I failed out of photography class in high school. It's perfect. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> first I failed out of it. Yeah, and then I took it again. Okay, and then I got kicked out of it <laughs> because my art teacher was a fucking asshole. Sure, and just had it out for me. Right, and we had some photo project. And I did it mm-hmm. and turned it in. Mm-hmm. And then she's going over things in front of the class. Was like, well, Matt got a zero because he didn't turn it in. And I'm just like, what? Like, yeah, really? stood up and was like, yo, I turned this in. She's like, no, you didn't. Right. And like, got in a full on like argument, and I called her a fucking bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I got kicked out of class. Yeah. And apparently, like three days later, she's like sorting something on her desk. I was like, oh, there's Matt's thing. <laughs> and like threw it away. And I was like, fuck. You're like, cool. So I got kicked out of photography class and got put in marriage and family class. Oh, that's like that's like home ec, right? No, this is like for full on like pregnant girls. Oh, pregnant girl, yeah, yeah. And it was the saddest thing ever, but sure. literally the best class I've ever taken because I learned how to balance a checkbook. Right. I knew how to like practical stuff, real life shit. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. It was right. the only class I stood stayed awake for in high school. Totally, you're like kind of awesome. Oh, I've heard my parents talk about that, so I should probably pay attention yeah. oh, to this. Budget, okay, rent, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I actually learned a lot in that class. That's amazing. How I got into photography was uh, I have a really bad memory yeah and i want to blame it on doing a lot of drug a lot of drugs as a kid sure i don't, I don't know if i just have right. a bad memory who knows right, right. 
But uh, like the first time we were going to Europe, that was like a big deal. And I thought, you know, at the time, I was like, this is the only time I'm going to Europe. And of we course. were touring Madball. Sure. And I was like, there's going to be some awesome I got it. Happening. Yeah. yeah. I got we were, uh, it. was the very first time we ever were in a bus, too. Okay. So I was like, yeah, I got to fucking hook it up. So I got my first DSLR, which is like Canon Rebels, like silver oh, yeah, and like yeah. the kit lens and whatever. No, no idea how to use it. Didn't right. understand. Like, I didn't know what millimeters were for on a lens. Like, if you told me, like, a 50-millimeter lens, I had literally no right. idea what you are talking about. And I had a two-gig memory card. That's so right. I shot everything on small JPEG. So. Oh, of course, because you can fit more in there? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. So I did the entire, like, every tour we went on would fit on one two-gig card. So literally everything I shot is, like, fucking this. Like, <laughs> right, like a postage stamp. Oh, my God, it's so bad. Mistake learned, or lesson learned. <laughs> right, right, right. Um... But it was rad because I would shoot stuff during the day mm-hmm. and then just lay in my bunk at night and look through the photos on, on my camera. Right. And I'm like, wow, these suck. Like, what, what did I do wrong? Right. And then I had right. the manual for it right there. So I'd like oh, so cross-reference the manual and be oh, like, oh, interesting. shit. Oh, oh, that's why this thing. Right. As being a tourist, I'm walking around and taking a photo of every single old-looking church yeah, for yeah. no reason. You know? Sure. I was learning how to take photos and, and right. compose and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I just fell in love with it. It was awesome. I experimented with photography when, I mean, as most hardcore kids do, like in high school, I was like the yearbook photographer. Yeah. And so just started to experiment with all that. But it was, it really did, it changed my perspective of like the way you, you see the world. Yeah. Like, of like, oh, that would be a good photo. Like, and a lot of people, like, everyone obviously, and especially in this day and age, views themselves as a photographer. Yeah. Like, clearly, because yeah. everybody has it. Absolutely. Amazing camera at, at the, in their phone. But it matters. Like, people take pictures. To obviously remember, but but the, the the distinction that I've always seen where it's just like, if you are, like, if you see a photo, yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know what I'm saying, you're a photographer, but <laughs> it's just like, it, that, that switch goes off in you where it's like, oh, now I see how that should be yeah. captured, yeah. as opposed to just like, oh yeah, it's fucking shooter over there, yeah, yeah, that's fine, <laughs> I just need to remember that. But it's just, it, it's cool that you had that, obviously, yeah. experience of just like, learning from the manual and by practice. Yeah. It was just, cool. like... <clears throat> Yeah, it was it was cool to learn on my own and not take a class and not have to do any of that. But like yeah. all of my favorite musicians, like all of like the art that I really love, none of that stuff is classically trained. It's like so, you kind of figure out the yeah the rules or whatever, like how to do the shit, right? But the then basis. like you just figure it, like you totally. just get weird with it, and then something right. comes out of it, you know? right? You just suck at it for yeah. a long time. What you're saying about uh, the way you view the the world, that zine I gave you a minute ago, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I saw Ian McKay speak in, oh, uh, yeah. when I lived in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and uh, he did a Q&A at uh, NYU. Sure. And he comes out, and he, uh, he's just taking questions from the crowd. The first question came out was, uh, what came first, punk rock or skateboarding? And then he talked about it for like 45 minutes, and I was bawling my eyes out in the crowd. Because, um, you know, I love skateboarding. It's right. it, it was my entire world. I mean, still, I just built ramp in my garage at my house like last right. week um but i never you know i could never pinpoint what it was that that identified yeah. yeah made it click for me or whatever and he was talking about like the first time he got a skateboard and like went skating and like changed his world like he didn't see his like his his town didn't look the same to him anymore. no like yeah. you're looking at here's a set of, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like a set of stairs like everyone's like oh this is what i walk up and down it's like no dude i could like ollie down these things shred down and there's like a curb and i'll look at that embankment and like yep he said he would like ride in the back of his mom's car and just like look out the window and just imagine like riding a skateboard as the car is going along. Like yeah. everything that happened to me as a kid, just like you just imagine like skating down the curb and then, oh, there's this. And yeah, just, yeah, yeah, you know, like, it infor- yeah. It informs the way that you view not only the world just like from like a, you know, new agey hippie standpoint, yeah. but just like a practical like 
this is how I, this is now how I structure my world. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so when, obviously when Most Precious Blood started to, you know, wind down, you guys obviously didn't want to tour anymore because it's a grind after yeah. a long time. Yeah. Um, was it difficult for you to kind of wrap your head around the idea of like, oh shit, this is coming to a stop. Like I need to transition out of this somehow. Yeah. Uh, I call it <laughs> the sick of it all syndrome. <laughs> that I fucking love sick of it all. I oh, still great. think yeah, they're yeah. the best hardcore band ever. It's still totally. put on a great show. Yep. But we tour with them a lot. Oh yeah. And yes, yeah. Yeah. So I can remember as a kid, mm-hmm. venues that they would play in Atlanta and surround, like if they would play North Carolina, I'd drive to North Carolina to go see them. Right. So there's this, fuck, I can't remember the name of the venue. There's a venue in North Carolina, like okay. Tremont Music Tremont Music Hall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. So they packed that big oh, yeah. room. It was Sick of It All Strife, Cast Iron Hike. Oh, and spectacular show. Yeah, yeah. Sub-Zero. I think. Oh, great. Yeah. Just packed house, banana show, like best yeah. thing I've ever seen. Fast forward. However many years we go back, we play the small room, yep. and there's 13 people there. Yeah, and it's just like fuck. And they, yeah. they have nothing else. No, it, dude. It, when I, because I worked with them at Century Media, yeah. and it was one of those things that was so weird. Like when we were talking about, like you know, whatever, launching new records and stuff. It was always this really difficult conversation. I mean, fortunately, they're all obviously awesome dudes, and they do yeah. have a clear perspective. They're yeah. like, yeah, I know why we don't do fucking tours in the states because it sucks balls. Yeah. We played for the thirteen people. Yeah, but every time we would go with. Like over to Europe or whatever, and it'd just be like yeah, yeah. festival, second coming of Christ. Yeah, yeah, and amazing, totally. And I'm like, fuck the U.S., man. What's I know, I know. Yeah. And it was so, it was so weird to be because they they were in that position where it's like, okay, we can't go on a support tour because they can't pay us enough yeah. in order for us to keep things going. Um, but and and at the same time, that when we if we do a headliner. It's going to suck because there's only going to be 100, 150 kids in some of these places. And yeah. it was like, yeah, you you get to that position where it's just like. Well, we have to kind of make do yeah. with whatever whatever hand we're dealt and wherever we're maybe going to sustain some sort of popularity. Yeah. It's That's rough. It. Like when you make hardcore your life for that long. Yeah. Like once it starts to dry up a little bit, it's like, well, fuck. Like, totally. Where do you go? They're, yeah. They're not going to take care of me anymore. It's like no. you gave your life to this. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, ah, I don't like the new record. Fuck you. Totally. Like, totally. It's just such a bummer. Yeah. It's just, well, I mean, it, 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 any entertainment or art obviously goes through that, but it's like, yeah, you, you do. Everyone should know, like, you can't make a huge savings on being a hardcore band. Like, no. it's just not going to happen. Even the biggest hardcore bands. Totally. At the time. Of course. Like, once it's done, it's done. Like, you yeah. could be sitting pretty for, like, a hot second, but, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to have, yeah. yeah. It's so terrifying to see, you know, kids. I mean, the, the perpetual myth of, like, being in a band and how that will sustain you for years and years. Yeah. It's like, you got to have some other yeah. something. And not, not even just from like a practical, but just like, you probably care about something else besides like headbanging on stage, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, some people don't. And well, I did. Yeah, I definitely didn't. I had no, no <laughs> Right, idea. right, right. So you hit, you hit that wall and I'm sure it was terrifying. Yeah. So, uh, we, uh, you know, we all decided like we weren't going to be a full-time touring band. So we had two tours left. We had... <sighs> fuck what was it i think a european tour and yeah. then we went to australia one last time sure so in between i think before both of those tours well we had a conversation months before that before mm-hmm. booking that stuff and i was like well fuck i don't want to live in new york right like, it's cool it was cool when i was home for like a month at a time yeah yeah, yeah. And just I, pop in and pop out right yeah. and I, I worked at some burrito place and in the lower east side and literally delivered burritos on my skateboard like it was <laughs> like, the perfect, perfect. in betweeny job yeah right right, right, right. And then, but I was like, fuck, I don't want to do that yeah. every day. And that's my existence and right. just scrape by and pay Brooklyn rent. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, totally. There's no, there's, and I had 
no idea what I wanted to do. So it's like any idea that you have in New York City, mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to be a fucking unicyclist that takes photos of naked people sure. down the street. There's already 20 people doing that. Totally, yeah, yeah. There's a group down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're already, they've saturated everything. You're not going to. That's not, true. Not yeah, yeah. So I was just like, it's just not going to happen. Right. Um, I was dating this girl, Danielle, who's a tattooer. And then anytime I would go visit Atlanta, she would tattoo my friends. Okay. And whatever. And then uh, those t- tattoos are getting seen around town. And she actually got a job offer from a shop in Atlanta. I was like, okay. yo, if you ever want to move down. And I was like, well, huh. That- Atlanta's cheap. Right. I know everybody there. I'm pretty I'm familiar. Sure I can yeah. find something to do there. Right. So we decided we're going to move back to Atlanta. Okay. I was going to move back to Atlanta. She's from New York. So we moved to Atlanta. And then right after we moved is when... I went to Europe and Australia and then came back and was like, all right, it's time to find a job. Right. And it was the deepest depression I've ever hit. Sure. I was about to turn 30. Right. Well, yeah. Obviously, don't have a college education. I don't have there's no any there's, skills. Right. I have literally nothing I want to do. Right. Nothing that like, sparked a passion. Yeah. Like you right. ask a five-year-old, like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they'll come up with 10,000 things. Yeah. And they ask my fucking dumb ass at 29, like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I yeah, hate yeah. everything, you know? Right. Um... But people were always like, oh, you should take really good photos. You should make some money from doing where that. Were you, yeah, where were people seeing the stuff? Like, just amongst friends, obviously. I started right? a blog called okay. The Five Mile Grace. And okay. that's when I started posting, posting like, yeah. live band photos. Sure, sure. Photos from being on tour or whatever. Okay. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll be a music photographer. Yeah. And then I try to get, you know, the movie life's coming through. Let me get some promo shots of them. Right. And then I'll take some photos and then, like, talk to, like, their manager or something like that. Sure. And getting $50 was yeah. like pulling teeth. Oh, dude. And dude, $50 would pay for like... Yeah, yeah. My, not even my water bill, you know? Right, like, what right. the fuck? Like, that's obviously not gonna Right. This is a, this is this a is replicable model. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And those shoots would happen like once a month, maybe. Yeah. So it was like super weird and frustrating and I didn't know what to do. So, first job I got in Atlanta was at a bong shop that my friend oh, worked yeah. at. Right. And I was literally... I worked the graveyard shift from midnight until seven in the morning. I got paid six fifty an hour. Sure. And I was selling what was called incense burners, which basically people smoke meth out of. Right, right, right. So if you can imagine the people, number one, that buy yeah. meth <laughs> smoking <laughs> things, yeah. those who buy meth smoking things at midnight to right. seven AM. Yeah, yeah. Sketchiest of the sketches. It was like weird old men bringing in girls that looked like they were fucking fifteen. Oh, and God. be like, pick one out and they buy one. and it was just like Yeah killing my get, soul get me out of here just like right. yeah, just yeah. sitting there and it just smelled like fucking yeah. hookah tobacco and right. farts in there <laughs> like, and it was like this? purple carpet and black light shit everywhere and i was like <laughs> what is this someone fucking stabbed yeah. me in the eye totally like, i'm totally. so sad right and then i met this dude ray jones in atlanta okay. who was from north carolina and he was a photographer okay and he was doing a, a book called faces of straight edge oh okay so he did a portrait series of, of people who were straight edge and what they did right 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 so i found out about that and i was like hey if you ever need a hand I'm a budding photographer, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, let me take your portrait. And he knew I collect adult skateboards, so that was like his angle was like right. to have all my like 80s and 90s skateboard collection and take a photo of me with it. And uh, we became friends mm-hmm. shortly after that. And then once his book got released, he actually got a job at New York Times. So he Based moved, off that book? Not based off the book, but, but he was already a documentary okay, photographer. Talk, okay, got it. So, but like, you know, right around that time, sure. he, got, he got the job. So he was moving to New York and he was like, Yo, if you wanna, if you need work, I assist a wedding photographer, and you could okay. do that. And all I could think of was like, how shitty. Yeah, like, this is this. Yeah, that's yeah. awful. That's, but but uh, to be it's fair, better than selling meth right. pipes. <laughs> to be fair, yeah, kind of a, kind of a more, a better environment. Well, dude. So the meth pipe yeah. store 
it was so bad there that the owner was like this really fat weird girl yeah who was a crackhead sure yeah yeah. sampling the product would just like have like 30 people in her entourage and they would just come in and be like and just like take all these shirts and like take sure all this merchandise just barrel out out. yeah just go like the strip club and just blow my she had like a giant hummer and it was just like a piece of shit right so basically she was running out of money and when we would get paid you had to run to the bank to cash that check to cash the check because like if someone else cashed their check before you there would be no money in the account right and I was the last to get paid because I was a new guy so my checks were bouncing yeah I wasn't getting paid but I was still going into work because I literally had nothing else to do sure it was so fucking sad dude that's so basically they sold skateboards there too yeah so I was stealing skateboards and bongs right to supplement to to, yeah to sell so I could pay my rent it was so fucking bad yeah yeah yeah. Um, so Ray moves to New York yeah his job New York Times offers me a job doing wedding photography all I can think of is just like the scene in Big where he goes to like the party and eats the caviar and everyone's in like a zoot suit yeah it's the worst that's all I can think of well you hear yeah I mean this this leads into (laughs) when I when I first started to uh, you know I'm not even using this word lightly become obsessed with your photography (laughs) it was was when I started to yeah it was when I was seeing your wedding photography where it's one of those things where it's like it feels like all the photos you take are staged which they're clearly not except obviously Obviously, the ones that are clearly like posed yeah. and they obviously have been, you know, staged from that perspective. But it, like, I mean, there's life, there's, you know, uh, love, you know, vibrancy, if that's even a word. Yeah. But <laughs> it just, it, it, it jumped off the page. And it was one of those things where it's like, this is how it should look, as opposed to the, the common conception of a wedding photographer being like, it's just, I mean, it, and on my wedding, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, my mother-in-law to like fucking yell at the wedding photographer to be like, don't take a picture of this, at this particular one. It's just like, yeah. chill. Like, it, it, very few people have that like positive connotation of like, oh, wedding photographer? Probably a shitty person yeah. that just is like, oh, is going to walk around with Polaroids for like, you know, $15,000 or yeah. whatever. It's like so many negative connotations. Yeah, I, I went into it thinking I was going to fucking hate it. it <laughs> right. Was like super bummed, but I needed, they were going to pay me like $50 or something like that. I yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Bucks. Right, yeah. right, right. And I did it, and it was for our labor of love. I had no idea who they were. Right. You know, that was before like wedding blogs were even like a, a thing. thing. Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. started like, and I did it, and I was like, holy fuck. Like it was like, not even looking back, not even that cool of a wedding, not even that cool of a couple. Sure. But it was completely different than what I thought it was going to be. Right. And I was like, fuck, this is actually pretty awesome. Yeah. And they had never met anyone like me before. Like, I'm a friendly guy, but I'm pretty outgoing and pretty silly. And, and of course, you got tattoos. You're yeah. just like, who? who what, what's up yeah. with that kid over there? <laughs> For sure. But they they liked having me around. They saw I had a good work ethic, and they 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 brought me on to the next wedding and then the next wedding and then just kind of brought me on. Yeah, it snowballed from there. So I was a a wedding assistant with them for two years Mm -hmm. and then I started shooting my own weddings outside. I was still assisting them but I did maybe like five weddings the first year. Right. And then the next year they wanted me to come on like as an associate. Right. So I actually shot under their name Uh until this past year and actually just started Right, your own thing. thing. Right, right, right. Which I think it it was like when you announced that that you were, you know, separating... Your and doing your own diamond eyes, right? Yeah. Where it was one of those things where it's like it, it seemed, and honestly, in a lot of the photo, a lot of photography that you did in regards to weddings, like it, so much of it, not actually, I wouldn't say so much of it, all of it is informed by capturing, you know, live events. Like, yeah. I mean, in, in the way that, like, you not only you light it, but the way you frame it, like, it's all, it's just like, yeah, you could replace some of this with like kids jumping on each other yeah. to show. And it's like, it's such a, to me, it was one of those things where it's like, it's something that 
you never would have immediately put together. Like if someone was like, oh yeah, hardcore shows, wedding photography. There's probably some similar. Yeah, for sure. No one. But then when you see it in the context, especially through how you're presenting it, it's like, oh yeah, why the fuck did no one else do that before? Yeah. It's so weird. That's I get asked a lot. Like how, like, how do you get your approach? Like it, it looks different than every, everything we've seen, but I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. I'm like, well, I grew up taking right. photos of five dudes in a band. Totally. And now you've got five groomsmen. And, right. You know, there's... A reception where they're throwing the groom in the air. Like, right. I grew up photographing people stage diving. Like, right. I know how I saw that. And that's what I want to recreate. Right. You know? Now I know, you know, shutter speeds and, and how of to course. do all the camera tricks lighting. The yeah, train. I know all yeah, that yeah, shit. Yeah. But my eye is centered from what I saw growing up skateboarding. Like, right. just a portrait of a, a skateboarder. Or just like, like when you, like if you look through a skateboarding magazine now, like you'll see, like people bring out lights and shit like that. Yeah. And yeah. You have a cityscape, and that skateboarder is like this bit, like tiny on the page, but he's got to stand out, like in a whole sea of cars and buildings and all that. So shit. much noise, yeah. And that's what I learned is like, how did? Why was my eye drawn to that dude? Right. How's how's he being pulled towards you yeah. when there's so much stuff that could be distracting you from whatever yeah. it is that you're obviously trying to? Yeah, you're. It's like all, all you've done is like you're just like I'm creating an environment in which I could potentially catch the best photos, yeah. and it's like so, and, and it. So many people don't even approach it like yeah. that. Where they're just like, I'll just work with this. Yeah. Like, this is fine. Yeah. Like, I, my, my sheer talent will pull this out of I, it. Yeah, I can't do that. And <laughs> I think my photography is driven by hatred, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'll look at so much stuff. I'm like, God, this is so fucking bad. Oh, I totally. Yeah. And one of the best pieces of advice I, I ever got as a, as a photographer was mm-hmm. like, you need to look at your work and then photos that whatever whatever field you're looking at, be it skateboarding or, or punk rock or right. fucking some cooking magazine or something like sure. that. There's images in there that will make you stop and be like, wow, I fucking hate that photo. Totally. Or this photo is blowing my mind. Right. But you got to take a second and be like, why? Like, mm-hmm. why is this photo even – why did I even stop and look at this? Yep. But then like why, why is this – Why is this inspiring reaction? Yeah why, yeah. why is it making me feel something? Yep. And I took that – all the way back to images that I would remember as a kid. Like I would go through old thrashers or whatever. And be yeah. like, you know, I remember John Cardiel like skating under this thing. And like that photo sticks out in my head. And like, what makes it, there's a photo that, uh, this dude, Todd Swank skating under a bridge. And like, there's this crazy shadow and like just the lines in it are really cool. And it was like the cover of trans world. Right. And I remember that photo, like after I had that talk with uh, this photographer, I was like, huh, I should go back and check that stuff out and figure out why I love it. Right. And there's this guy, Jay Grant Britton, took the photo. And I, like, went back and looked at it. And I was like, oh. And then, like, three weeks later, I took a photo, like, a wedding photo, completely inspired by it. Sure. You're like, that's, yeah, you can pull from that world. And it's like, that's what's so important. I mean, I think anybody that's involved in any creative art, it's like, you, I mean, for one, you have to be a fan of the process. Yeah. Like, because so many people, it's like, you know, at whatever level of success. Like, I mean, that is, like, that doesn't, that's inconsequential. Yeah. It's like, you have to enjoy putting like getting inspiration being able to put put that and apply it to whatever it is that you're doing because otherwise if you're just like it, yeah if you're just looking at this oh i, I need to become this it's yeah. like it's just a fool's errand yeah you know? for sure <clears throat> there's two last things i wanted to hit on was um obviously i have been involved in a subculture for a very long period of time and obviously from you know i mean weddings are not subculture yeah. like and so having you know marrying these two worlds you're having to work with clients that clearly have like they have a context for you because clearly they're approaching you because they yeah. like the work um has it been difficult for you to like work with people that have like no context for who you are as a person like i mean as far as like it's why i put so much of myself 
out there. Yeah. So like on my website, like it full on like right. Well, I put I used to used to just have a wedding portfolio. And yeah. It's like wedding and music. Yeah. So it's like, I noticed that. Yeah. So when you look at the wedding, it's like oh this is really pretty blah blah blah, and then the music oh this dude's obviously not a <laughs> typical wedding. Photographer. Right. Right. And then I make sure like there's at least a photo of me that shows that. Yeah. I either have my hands tattooed or my neck tattooed or whatever. Right. Like you should know that. Right. If, if this is yeah. gonna bum you out, yeah, don't hire me. <laughs> a lot, a lot of my approach is weeding out the people I don't want. Yeah. I don't want to sit around and answer ten thousand emails a day. Yeah. Because I'm in someone's price range, or they're oh. near me, or they just need a wedding photographer. That's Fuck true. that guy. I want, I want the person who is like, "Are you available this day?" Yes. Shoot my wedding. Yeah. The thing I went to this weekend, it was like a bunch of photographers talking about all this stuff and managing their lives and how do you do it and blah, blah, blah. Right. And there's people that get 200 emails a day and then they'll answer those 200 emails. Oh. And the next day, there's the response of those 200 emails and then plus the next 200. 200. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, I spend hours and hours in email. I'm like, well, what the fuck? Cut like, it off. Yeah. That. Yeah. Right, right. Find who you find who you want to work for, cater to them. And there shouldn't be that many of them. Mm-hmm. You know? There's not that many yeah. hardcore kids getting married every weekend. There's not that many fucking tattooers. There's not that many, you know. Right, right. And those people that value wedding photography. There's plenty of those people getting married, but they're just like, fuck it, you know, I'll totally. pay $300 for some asshole to show up with. Right. Flash and that's it. And that's fine. You don't have to have. No. But if your value is in photography, hopefully they'll be able to find me. Hopefully they'll be able to right, totally. do that thing. So that uh, a huge thing for me is... Not appealing to everybody because mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to work for those people. I did it in the very beginning. I would say yes to anything. Yeah. I got kicked out of a venue once because I didn't have a sport coat on, and I'm just like, well, fuck that. Yeah, fuck yeah. This, you know, right? Like, and there's nothing. There's nothing in me in this. Yeah. There's right. no point in it. I'm not doing the clients a service. They're not getting 100 percent out of me because I'm not putting my heart into it because I'm yeah. annoyed and pissed. You know. Of course, of course. Um, and I feel like uh, with portraiture and weddings and stuff like that, you. Being able to throw your, yourself into the photo a little bit mm-hmm. and then being able to let the person be themselves is right. huge. And if you're not comfortable, if you're just meeting your photographer that day, it's going to be weird. Totally. You know, if you have no common ground. And I don't know anything about football. I don't know anything about baseball. I don't fucking watch. <laughs> right, right, right. Fucking. Yo, here's some champagne. I'm all right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to you about fucking Budweiser. We're not going to talk about <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, fucking whatever dumb TV show is on. Like, right. I, I don't give a shit. Right. And I don't want to have to talk about that. Like, right. I don't, I don't want to have common ground with a common dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying I won't shoot the wedding. Right. You're if, not, if you're they're not, doing something, I'm not, I'm not saying no you're to You're not everybody. closed, right. You're not closed off to that, but you're just like, you know, you know what will potentially get the, you know, not only the best results for you from a selfish standpoint, but from like a client standpoint as well, where it's like, if we're, if we're firing on like these cylinders, we don't have to be the same person, yeah. but as long as we got this, yeah. this will probably come out okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a huge power in saying no. Like there's a huge power in like, if someone's talking to me and it's just, I can tell it's not going to work out, they're yeah. going to be much happier with someone else. And yeah. I can hope that someone else is going to contact me and fill in that date. I, I'd rather not make money off this person if I'm not going to give them hundred percent of myself. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, those, I mean, I think those are important lessons for anybody. Yeah. Like I said, just that's in, in the creative arts. It's like, yeah. it's so easy to say, you know, the power of saying yes, but then there's, there's so much, there's so much tied up into saying yes, you're opening yourself up to things that you just may not be good at. Yeah. And of course you need to try it at some point, yeah. but you've done that. Yeah. <laughs> Context of kids. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm 33 yeah. and I have, yeah, I think our, my son and your daughter are like months apart. Cause my son, he's, he'll be three in uh, April. 
Okay. And so, anyways, we we have a very similar experience yeah. from that perspective. And so the the context of you being you know married, family man, and having all of this wrapped up into being like, oh, like I'm I'm from this whole weird thing that yeah. my parents clearly had no context for. You know, how does that sit in your head as far as just like, wow. Like I'm being a dad and like, you know, you could have talked to me, whatever, you know, seven years ago and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like it definitely, you know, I was definitely the guy like, fuck your, you know, two story house and 2.5 kids and blah, blah, blah. Right. right. Um, I was just, you know, obviously just a, someone full of angst, but I carry with me so much of everything about hardcore. I'm still vegan. I'm still straight edge. Yep. Everything. My wife's a tattooer. I'm a photographer. We both own our own businesses. Like. I learned so much from just DIY and like no one's going to make what you want. You need to fucking do it. Right. You know? So that's exactly what I did. Like I was very lost for a very long time. Yep. And when I found photography, I was like, fuck, how can I make it happen? Yeah. Okay. And I'm making it happen. And now like I'm literally out on my own. It's super fucking scary and frightening and sure. But I'm making a go <clears throat> at it and I'm going to see how it works. Right. And then my wife opened up her own tattoo shop. Like, in Atlanta, where she's not from, that's like super scary to do. Oh, yeah. Like, you gotta hope the clientele is gonna come in. And it's, it's scary, but like, I'm like raising a child in a world, hoping that I can better the world, you know? Right, like right. Or raising her vegan. It's not one of those things like I'm holding a gun to her head and be like, right, do you right. ever have cheeseburgers? Yeah, know? but like, I'm disowning you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just silly. But, <clears throat> you know, I would love to think that she'll grow up a compassionate right. person who understands why things work the way they were. Mm-hmm. They work. And, the world's pretty fucked up, but you have the ability to at least make a small dent in it, you know? Of course. Yeah. yeah. And that's what's important to me, not having a kid because you're supposed to have a kid or, you know, yeah. living in a house because you're supposed to live in a house. Like, right. all this shit I came to <clears throat> on my own and I couldn't be happier with it. Yeah. That's such an important point because it's like, I feel like, especially within the context of, you know, of punk and hardcore and everything like that, you, you rally against so many things for obvious reasons. Yeah. But it's like the... You know, like you said, like house isn't bad. Yeah, a marriage isn't bad. Yeah, like these these things that are institutions that are 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 you know thrown up against a wall and beaten in the context of many lyrics. Yeah, it it, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It matters what you do with that thing. Where it's Absolutely. like it, it, everything that you're hitting on is like so important. I think people, especially just from like when you're first getting into it and everything is like the most new and exciting thing. It's like. It's never going to be tempered when you're that age because mm-hmm. you're ah, everything. Everything's new and except fuck everything. Yeah. But then it to have just especially because like now that a lot of us have grown up in the context of this, there's there are people to be like, oh, I see what that person has done, and like they've totally not become like you know a hollow shell of what they used to be. You know, yeah, like there's totally. these there's these train tracks where it's like, oh, I, if I don't go down the you know lawyer doctor path but oh there's these other things that yeah. are kind of interesting it's well, like there's you know with facebook <clears throat> and stuff like that yeah. you can catch up with people in high school and there's people that you know girls i knew in high school that had a fucking bright orange chelsea and wore misfit shirts every day or whatever right and now they're wearing like university of georgia like <laughs> right right right, hoodies right and just like what wow the fuck happened? Yeah, where did this go just just right. stopped caring, stopped. Just whatever is easy. What? We're, of course. We're watching football on Friday. Great. Yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do. Let's, uh, what are you doing? Going to Buffalo Bills and. Right, right. It's just like, <laughs> God damn it. Just yeah. gave up, you know? Right, 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 right. And I never want that to be me. No, yeah. Like, well, I think, I think the people like you and I who have, who have that trigger in our head that's just yeah. been installed when we were, you know, whatever, 14, 15 years old, just yeah. like, I don't want to be like that. Like, that will, I mean, that's not going to go away. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. 
Atlanta continues to uh, blow my mind in so many different ways, especially it's like, I mean, where it's at right now, as far as the, especially what you see in the independent artistic community. It's like every time I visited down there, it's always just been like, it, it, it always is vibrant. It goes in obviously waves, mm-hmm. but it's like now that there's so many creative things going on, I mean, like obviously that I believe in Atlanta yeah. project and like there's something that's so inherently unique about your city. It's probably difficult to express it in words. Yeah. I mean, why do you think that is? Like, I know it's just it's a huge question. It's just... I think that's the birth of I Believe in Atlanta is because no, I don't think anyone can fucking figure it out. Yeah. I've loved Atlanta. Like, I've literally been everywhere. Like, right. I've been to South Africa. I've been to Australia. I've been right. to fucking everywhere in the U.S. I've been... Sure. You've seen... Everywhere. I've right. seen it. I've right. tasted it. I've been to that place. I've stayed there. I've right. been to these restaurants. I've done all that shit. And I moved back to Atlanta. Right. And I can't put my finger on it. Right. I love it. It's my favorite place. It's fucking sketchy. Not an easy place to live. There's no fucking beach. There's no right. like yeah, yeah yeah. Like I'll go to play. Like I was just in yeah, Santa Barbara and yeah, it was yeah. amazing. Like there was just rocks and waves. Right. And it's beautiful. Lush greenery. Just it was fucking awesome. Right. But I'm gonna go home and be home. You know. Right. And I don't know what it like. It's this weird. Honestly, it's this weird. The the way I've observed it, it's this weird sort of like. You know, Detroit-like pride of of a city that obviously, I mean, has not fallen as hard of a times as Detroit has. Yeah. Where it's like, but Atlanta is obviously it's it's been established for a. It only burned down once. Come on, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it, it it obviously has the historical context where it's like, yo, we've been through some shit. Yeah. But then it obviously is, not, it, but it has that sort of Detroit-like pride. But then it also reminds me of Austin in the sense of that just that sort of like, yo, like. There's this really weird side. Like, yeah. you may think of Atlanta and think of, you know, sports and, you know, football and baseball and, you know, TBS and everything else. Yeah. But then it's like, and then Coca-Cola. But then there's this this weird, this undercurrent of, like, we have a lot of artistic yeah. stuff happening down there. Yeah. I mean, hip-hop scene, like, fucking Outkast, Ludacris. It's like, true. Huge hip-hop scene. Yeah, hardcore yeah. scene. Yep. Fucking Foundation. Yeah. yeah. Like, Criminal Instinct. Like, all these bands are coming out of there. And fucking great art, great... Food, great, everything, and everyone shouts out Atlanta. Yeah, like I want to say, probably every fucking Outcast song somehow has the word Atlanta in it. You know, true, true. <laughs> I literally—that's why I love. I believe in Atlanta is because it's everyone's take on it. Like, what do you love about Atlanta? And they'll take a photo and they'll put the hashtag on it or right. like, wear the shirt or something. Everyone loves it, but everyone's got different reasons for it. Totally. And literally, I've—you know—I've <clears throat> realized why I love photography. I realized why I love skateboarding. I still don't fucking. I yeah, yeah, don't know why can't. I love Atlanta, but I do. Right. I really you still do. can't articulate it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think what's especially inspiring about that, you know, that project of I Believe in Atlanta is the fact that it's like, you know, people like myself who clearly don't live in Atlanta. And I mean, I've got, I've literally have no connection there besides the people I've met. I can look at that and I'd be like, that, that is something like that feels, that feels good as opposed to just like, you know, a lot of, a lot of communities like there's no sense of that, you know, almost every band that comes through. Like, and just being on tour, you know, when a band is going through the, Hey, what's up? Tennessee, insert yeah. every city here, yeah. Michigan, right. you know, right. But when we come through Atlanta, they'll be like, "This is our favorite fucking town to play." Yeah. And it's not that the show is huge; it's not that it's the craziest show there, right? But everyone there has got heart. Everyone wears it on their sleeve, and everyone fucking yeah cares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just something. I know. It's I want. I want to believe that it's selfish, of yeah. like being punk and hardcore, whatever. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. That. We really fucking nurtured it. Like when I first, like I said, when I first started going to shows, it was fucking skinheads. They were assholes. It was like totally. fights every single show. Right. We literally 
had to weed those people. Yeah, just fucking grab it and put it somewhere else, and <laughs> had to fucking police our own scene for the longest time. Right, right, right. And we took great care in that. Like these dudes, this guy Jeff Jock, this dude Ken Two Four. Like yep. we booked shows and fucking cared about it and gave a shit if someone was being an asshole. Gave a shit if someone was being like a fucking sexist, racist asshole. Like right. we confront it. Totally. Get the fuck out of here. Like, you're not welcome. This is something we built. Right. This is art. Like, that's yeah, not going to happen is, at right. some club. They don't give a shit. As long as you're buying beer, do whatever you want. You know? Right, right. We didn't stand for it. And I want to think that that carried over to a pride of, like, this place is different. Mm-hmm. You know? Sure, sure. No, I mean, that's because all you can view is, is obviously the world that you've experienced it and the context in which you're able to build it. But I mean, I think that's like that, again, is why obviously that I believe in Atlanta project is so cool because yeah. it's like it, each each person is going to identify with something different. Absolutely. Even yeah. if they've come from the same place, yeah. they're going to find something that is different than the way that you view it, the way that your wife views it, whoever. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's it's there's it's awesome. A, yeah, there's a lot of pride from it. And like I said, like that's only me coming <clears throat> as a punk hardcore kid, but like totally. Every skater, like, mm-hmm. fucking, there's a low card, which is out of Atlanta, Stratosphere Skateboards. The guy who won fucking best skater of the year is Grant Taylor, like, right. lives in Atlanta. His father ran Stratosphere Skateboards since he skated for Schmidtstick in the fucking 70s. Like, that's amazing. Putting down their roots and fucking caring about the city. And yeah. literally, I don't know why, right, but right. it but happens. It has, yeah, and, yeah. It, and it's there. There's, fucking, a, re- there's yeah. a reason that people do it. Yeah. <laughs> what it is, don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I back it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you hanging out. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It was awesome. It's, I'm psyched. Yeah, me too. It's cool. fun. Pretty, pretty, pretty awesome, right? I just, I get so lost. When you hear me, you hear me make that noise, it's like the, uh, I just get so lost for words when I really do respect someone's work so much. And Matt is exactly that person. So visit his website, wearediamondeyes.com and find out about all the stuff he does. Great guy. Support his stuff. If you're getting married, check his stuff out. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. Visit propertyofzack.com. Next week, huge guest, Brianna Collins from Tiger's Jaw. Great episode. Sweetest girl of all time. Not of all time, but sweetest girl, because the sweetest girl of all time is my wife. You know, I kind of, not only do I have to say that, but I, I truly believe that. Anyways, until next week, be safe, everybody. Follow me, follow me